You may be seated. Romans chapter 8, I just want to do a quick review. And my outline looks like this. I usually like to give the outline for my message so you can follow along. Uh, I just do want to do three things this morning. Number one, I just want to review verses 1 through 17. If you are, if you're new uh, here and you haven't heard the messages on this, I'm so excited about the gospel. This has been such a year of renewal for me. And what does the gospel mean? And I'm going to review verses 1 through 17. And then I want to, number two, I want to comment on a few unresolved things that we see in Romans chapter 8. And then number three, I want to talk about the hope in the details of your life. Do you know what details of life are? Playing the, well, praying, yeah. Paying the bills, changing the diapers. I don't know, is it normal to change 400 diapers a day? I don't know, we're kind of new in this. It's the details of life, getting your oil changed, going to the store, uh, going to work, dealing with things, the details of our life. Romans, 1, Romans 8 verses 1 through 17 tell us five things. And I want to just remind us of those five things that we've talked about. That Number one, the gospel is not just for the unbeliever or the person that doesn't know Christ. It's for you and I every day to preach to ourselves every day. Amen. There's therefore, and we just, what is the gospel? We just read it, the first three verses, the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. That's the gospel. That is the gospel that we need to preach and speak to ourselves every day, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. The second thing is that the law was fulfilled in Christ. How much of the law was fulfilled? All of the law was fulfilled. And so we are no longer under the law of sin and death, which is a gravitational pull downwards. If I was to take my phone and drop it, it would go which direction? It would go down. Why? Because there is a gravitational pull down. And this is what this law of sin and death is. It's a gravitational pull downwards. David said this, my soul cleaves to the dust, right? It cleaves to the dust. Some of our souls cleaves to the beach. (laughs) We're 98% water, right? Well, somebody said that when you're a kid, you're a baby, you're 98% water. But when you get older, you're 75%. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But we are, what's that? <laughs> we're, as adults, we're filled with more with air, I think. The law was fulfilled in Christ. And the, the law of sin and death, that law of sin and the law of death that pulls downward has been overcome by what? A new law, a new gravitational law, which is the law of the spirit of life. And what kind of gravitational pull is that? That is an upward pull, isn't it? I like, to, I like to look at it like this, that before you were saved, before you knew Christ, before you discovered the riches of the, the gospel of grace, we, if you had left us alone, we would be, we'd be sinking down, wouldn't we? We'd be, there would be a pull down. But now, in Christ is a new creation, a new spirit, a new heart, and a new mind. If you leave us alone, what's going to happen? There's going to be what we read in Romans chapter 8 later on, where it says that, when we, are, when we are in our infirmities, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to make intercessions and begins to function and operate on our behalf. That means a new law takes over. Amen. That we are now subject to a new law, which is a gra- gravitational pull upwards. On, <laughs> Amen? It's a gravitational pull upwards. Amen. Happy crowd today. I love it. <laughs> Number three, the old man was crucified. How dead is the old man? Yeah. Pretty dead. I think he's 100% dead. He's not moving. He's dead. He's killed and he's dead and there's nothing to more. To, we have nothing more to do with him. He's, di- he's gone. 
And I think that some Christianity preaches that, okay, we got to fight the old man. Yeah. Well, enjoy that fight because yeah. that fight was beaten by, that fight was settled 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. Number four, the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is the flesh is that part of us that is the former programming. It's the old operating system, okay. yes. right? It's with the good side and the old bad side. It's got a good side and an ugly side to it. And this good side and ugly side has no capacity, and this is where we're going to get really practical today, has no capacity to deal with the details of your life. Your flesh, my flesh, has no ability to raise kids. <laughs> our flesh, good, bad, our good side and our bad side of the flesh, wants to be, the flesh wants a program, right? Because then the flesh can be saying, hey, you know, I was part of this sanctification process. The flesh wants a program because, hey, We've got to take pride in ourselves in some way. I, gotta, I can't be embarrassed by my kids. I, you, you can't embarrass me. I have to, I have to um, raise my kids in the en- energy of the flesh. Well, that never works, and we never have the capacity to live this life, to go to work. I mean, Wes works 400 hours a week. How can he do that? Can he do that in the energy of the flesh? He cannot do that in the energy of the flesh. We cannot live our life in the energy of the flesh. Because the flesh is, and I like it, it was said like this, it's always a day late and a dollar short. The flesh is always a day late and a dollar short. And the flesh profits nothing. Somebody said it this way. They said, when I gave my life to Christ, which sounds great, um, but when we give our life to Christ, what does Christ do with that life? He has to kill it, doesn't he? Because Because he can't use that. He has to crucify that. And he gives us a new heart and a new mind. Because the flesh wants to say, okay, God, I'm giving... I talked to a guy yesterday when we were doing some outreach in, in, uh, in a nearby neighborhood. And he was telling us his testimony. And you know something? The flesh profits nothing. God cannot use our flesh. The flesh wants a program. It wants a work to do. Why? Because the flesh is the old programming. It's the old operating system. And when you use an old operating system for you computer guys, what happens when you're using an old version of Windows on your, on your laptop? What's going to happen? Crash. It's going to crash. What else is going to happen? It's going to get viruses, right? Yeah. It's going to get malware. It's going to get like, it's going to be impacted because the, old, the flesh is an old operating system. And, we ha- and therefore, you know what? We have no confidence in the flesh. That's we have right. no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, verse 3, Paul said, it's not the circumcision or the uncircumcision. It's not the Christian culture or the, or the Christian or the bad culture. It's, it is... We are a new creation. So these are, what, these are four things that we've talked about. And then one last thing that we talked about is that the sin principle that dwells in Paul. Paul said, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. Romans 7, verses 17 and 20. And I want to hold on to that thought. And I want to talk about that in the month of August. So let's tackle Romans 7, okay? Want to do that? Let's go backwards. Let's go from Romans 8 to Romans 7 to Romans 6. Let's do that, okay? The sin principle that dwells in Paul is not who Paul was. It was a, it's a foreign object. It's like, an, it's, like, it's like alien DNA or something that's inside the person that is not who they are because we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's, just, that's verses 1 through 17. And that's how far we got, I think. Romans uh, 8, verses 18 through 27 uh, talk about a very interesting topic here, and it talks about suffering. And I don't want to go into all these verses here. I just want to hit these. 
I want to I just want to highlight a couple things about these verses because they are so loaded and they are so amazing. And I feel like that we don't have enough time to hit that. But it talks about the incomplete, the incompletion or the unresolved state of the world that we live in. Let me ask you, do you have some unresolved relationships? Do you have some situations in your life where you have not yet experienced victory or you have not experienced resolution? Maybe you have not gotten what you've been promised. Maybe you're in a contract of some kind and that contract has not, has not come through yet. Maybe somebody owes you money. Maybe somebody owes you something else. We live in a world, in a creation that it's groaning. You know what groaning sounds like? What does it sound like? It's like, ah, oh, it's like this deep groaning. If we could hear Mother Earth, I don't want to call it Mother Earth because it's not our mother, but if we could hear Earth groaning, because it's creation that was created by God, right? Yeah. It was created perfect and good. But then through the fall of Adam, the original sin, the entire universe went into chaos. It just went in, it started to spin out of control. All of creation, that means the environment, that means everything that we live in, the climate, the weather, everything is just so messed up because it's groaning for the manifestation or the appearance or the coming onto the scene of us, the believers, when Jesus Christ comes back. And we can talk about that later, but we live in this world that seems like so much is just unresolved. So much brokenness. My wife and I are, you know, we are, you know, you know about our fostering journey and, and just the situation that people find themselves is just so broken. I know some of us in this room, all of us in this room have, have seen a lot of brokenness, right? Just a lot of, I mean, even right now we are, we are witnessing brokenness in our own families. And, and sometimes it's so heartbreaking <clears throat> to see that. And something inside of not only creation, but also us. We are groaning inside. There's something inside of us that is saying, can I have some water? That's what I'm groaning for right now. There's something in us that's groaning. When are we going to see the redemption of creation? When is God going to come through in this situation, right? Have you ever felt that way? Like, how long am I going to be experiencing this, uh, this unfinished experience in my life? How long am I going to be, thank you, feeling this <clears throat> this need or how long is this unresolved situation going to be because it's so painful how many know what i'm talking about yeah. when is my business going to take off when is my vision for this ministry going to take off as a church planner we can live in, in we have an awesome team here we're working together and it's just so awesome with the unity and um, i really am so thankful for every one of you guys that just kind of put your time in and your energy to do this because this is such a ministry to the body we are serving jesus christ can we can live in this sense of unfinished in that in that um we can maybe sometimes be tempted to live in an unfinished sense that when is this going to be perfect but guess what <clears throat> we don't have to live in that because when we live in this sense of unfinished un- unfinishedness uh, that's what we call suffering. <clears throat> All suffering comes <clears throat> from an ideal that has not been yet fulfilled. <clears throat> Somebody could work a business for 40 years and not get to that point and live for 40 years and never enjoy their life today with God in a fulfilled, 
finished work. That's what I want to talk about this morning, our hope in the finished work today. The Paul points, Paul, what does Paul say about this in verses 18 through 27? Paul says this, he says, he said, what is the answer? Hope. Hope is the answer. Now, what is, what's the difference between hope and faith? Does anybody know? What's the difference between hope and faith? Faith is a conviction, right? Of things not yet seen. What is hope? What is hope? Let me just let you think about that for a minute. Hope is what pulls us through. Is it something that we see? No, it's not. Because if it's something that we saw, it would not be hope. <clears throat> hope is hope is different than faith because faith is a conviction. Hope, sometimes you hear people say, <clears throat> most of the time the word hope in our conversation is used the wrong way. Yeah. We say, you know, I hope that I'm, if you talk to a Catholic, that if you ask them, um, do you know if you're, if you're eternally saved, if you were born again. And they say, well, I hope so. I hope to go to heaven when I die. Hope is like, hope is, 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 one of the things hope is, is the way, hope is the life and the, and the uh, behavior and what we experience in our soul when we understand the conviction of faith. Hope is what, it's a glorious hope. It's a hope that will not make us ashamed. It's something that we are, it's, it's something that we are looking at down the road where we see, and we talked about this with Viktor Frankl when he was, uh, when he was in that concentration camp, and I don't want to rehash that, but hope is something that not only pulls us through, but it's hope is not something in a physical thing or in a um, um, natural thing that we are waiting for an answer. Hope is in a person, and that is Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> how does this translate? How does this translate in, deep, in the details of our lives? Well, let's look at verses 28 through 30, and I'm going to read these to you now. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And, you know, <clears throat> let's not say that we've heard these verses. Let's not say that we know these verses, and it's nice to be reminded. I don't, reminding is not, <clears throat> let's be quickened instead of reminding. Reminding is more of an intellectual acknowledgement. Let's be, let's be spiritually quickened about the truth of these verses. And we know... And I'm reading from the ESV that those who love God, let's, let's hit the pause button right there. Yeah. Because the whole time that Paul is talking about the love of God in the book of Romans, what is he talking about? He's talking about what? God loves us, right? Yeah. And this is the first time in the whole book of Romans, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm mistaken, please correct me. First time he says, love God. Now, what does that mean? Well, Let's read it in the context of 1 John 4, verse 19. What does 1 John 4, 19 says? I love this short verse. I love short, simple things. We love God because, what? Because we're, we're, we're devoted people. No. Because <laughs> we're committed. No, no, no. We love God because what? <clears throat> he first loved us. He first loved us. When you woke up this morning, did you love God? I don't know, so maybe some of you did. I don't always love God, and I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to always love God, right? I don't know. God first loved me. If I don't feel in my emotions that I'm loving God, don't live in condemnation. Don't beat yourself up. Just understand this truth. We love God because what? He first loved us. If you, are, if you feel like you are deficit, in, in, in some way d- deficient in your faith, or you don't have enough faith, or... Because the flesh is always counting how much and how many. 
But in Christ, it's always finished. It's always done. Don't look at what you're deficient. Oh, God, I'm not a good wife, or I'm not a good mom, or I'm a really bad father. I don't provide for my kids like I should, or I'm a bad teen, or I'm whatever. This is all the good side and the bad side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we are told not to eat from that tree. <clears throat> don't live, yeah, don't live on that tree. Oh, that's good. Hey, that's bad. You're doing good. Now you're doing bad. That's just like, is that God? No, it's not God. We are called to eat it from the tree of life, which we're talking about here. The tree of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right. that we love God because why? We, just, we are just responding to God's love. So whenever, <clears throat> this is what I do. Whenever I read that verse, or when I read a verse that says, love God, I always say, well, <clears throat> I'm just loving God because he first loved me. And, and when, when I love, when I, when I receive that love, when I understand that love, when the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, sheds abroad the love of Christ inside of our heart, yeah. what happens? Then there is this natural, spontaneous response yeah. That I love God. <laughs> I love God. I really do. And I want to live for Christ. And it's such a privilege to live for Christ. And, and it's not a burden. His commandments are not burdensome, especially when you understand what his commandments are. And that's another message at another time. The commandments of Christ are not 613 traditional laws that were given by the Jewish culture to the Gentiles. The law of Christ, the commands of Christ are just so amazing. They're so set freeing and they are so, they are so powerful and so wonderful. For, for, for we know that those who love God, so okay, do we love God today? Well, I'm responding to his love, so I'm in that category. All things work together. How many things? All, All things, right? All. The, t- the ticket that I got from the Texas police, which I did not get yet, but maybe you did. I don't know. Um, all things work together for good. What is this not saying? This is not saying all things work together for the common good or the greater good, right? You ever hear that? Like, well, I know that in some unknowable way, in some mysterious, God's ways are mysterious ways, which I don't really agree with that, but in some, some mystical way, this is going to work for the greater good, right? That's not what this verse is saying. That's right. There is no greater good. There is God and his goodness. What is saying here, and I never saw this until yesterday afternoon. My wife and Kim took Caleb and they went shopping. I said, shop as much as you want, buy as much as you want. I didn't say that. <laughs> and I was reading this, and it's referring to a verse in the book of Ezra. Did you know that? Ezra chapter 8, verse 22, and it says this. That Ezra is going to the king, and he said, you know what, king? We don't need anything from you, because our God is going to be good, and he's the good hand of the Lord is upon us, and he's going to fight our enemies for us. Then Ezra finds himself in a situation that he can't go to the king because now if he goes to the king, the king's going to be like, well, I thought your God is good and he's going to take care of you. And so he puts his trust in the goodness of God in that circumstance, and God comes through and he brings Ezra what he needed for that situation. God works all things together for his, his good. God is good. God is gracious and God is kind. God is not angry at you today. It's like, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're, you're coming to church today and you're just thinking, well, God's angry at me because of this or that or this or that. You know, the anger of the Lord was poured out on the cross 2,000 years ago. God is not angry at you today. He's not upset. He's not disappointed. I don't know. If you're one of these kind of compliant types of people that just enjoy being compliant so that you can have rest and peace in your relationships... 
That doesn't work with God. God is not asking for your compliance. He's asking for your fellowship because all things work together. I got to get going here because I'm just kind of moving slow through these verses. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who are called according to his purpose. I love that. Not everything works together for people who don't understand the love of God and who are not called according to his purpose. Uh, If we understand... If we understand our calling and we understand the goodness and the, and the forbearance of God, then we can understand that everything in the details of my life that seemed to be disruptive, that seemed to be unresolved, that seemed to be like not yet fulfilled. I've been praying for 20 years for this and I still have not gotten an answer. We can live in the hope of the gospel that even though I don't have the answers to my prayers, God is my answer. Amen. He sustains me. God, I don't need you to answer all of these prayers for me to trust you. I just need to see you, yeah. yes. right? Just see you. It's okay if you don't answer all these prayers. Yeah. When my mom passed away, and I always tell this, but when my mom passed away, uh, she passed away suddenly. We didn't know. Somehow we knew that her time was short, but there was nothing really wrong with her. And she was just reading her Bible at her desk, studying her notes from Bible school. And she fell asleep and passed away. And... Um, when we found her, on her desk, there was this little thing that she had written in her handwriting in a little glass plastic stand, and it said, can you trust me for the thing that I have allowed and not ask me why? Yeah. That's a big question right there. We can't do that unless we know who God is. That's right. And I'm like, you know, I didn't get to say goodbye to my, my mom. I didn't get to say, I, this seems to be very unresolved, my, my, this relationship with my mom, yet... The resolution is not in a circumstance. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. I think we need to preach Christ. We need to preach a very big Jesus. Not just a facilitating Jesus, but a Jesus that is so great and so perfect that has completed such a finished work that is nothing left over for us to try to fulfill. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And I think over the next few weeks, we're going to really see some beautiful uh, new stuff that it's not really new, but it's just some real wonderful things about how finished that really is. He first loved us. All things are, are working together for good. Who are called according to his purpose. Now, verse 29 and verse 30, and then we'll be done. There's some big words here. Big words. Predestination, foreknowledge, um, election, um, justification and glorification. So before I lose you, and before you just drift off into um, who's going to be playing this afternoon uh, on TV, think about these words, because these are such beautiful, fresh words that I had a beautiful time with the Lord, um, just studying these out in the Greek yesterday afternoon. For those whom he foreknew. Do you understand, and I hope the Holy Spirit can reveal this to us, do you understand how much... God foreknew you. Let's think about that for a minute. You ever talk to somebody, it's usually a parent or someone that really loves you, and you're talking to them and you're just feeling that they are just knowing everything about you. <laughs> you ever talk to somebody like that? It's like they're reading you. You ever talk to somebody like that? There are people in my life that are like that. They just know. They just, they're looking at you and you can just tell this person is reading me and he's loving me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's usually something that happens with 
a pastor in your life or when you have a pastor or a teacher or someone in your life that loves you. God foreknew us. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's go to Psalm 139, and I'm going to read 18 verses. I never do this, but I just want to read you 18 verses. And if we make the end, if we can make it to verse 30, we make it. If we don't, we don't. We'll do it next week. But listen to this foreknowledge of God. God foreknew us. He foreknew us. Listen to this. God thought about you, and he searched you out. Every nook and cranny of your soul, every wound, every pain, every joy in eternity past, he deeply knows you. Let that sink in for a minute. He deeply knows you even before you were born. This is the beauty of the gospel. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have... You know, in verse 2, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me. Is this getting scary? But don't get scared because in the end it's beautiful. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Beautiful verse. His hand is upon you today. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. That's why we need a spiritual revelation of what this is. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I hide or flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, for for those of you that have taken red-eye flights, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even, though, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Speaking of approval. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Isn't that beautiful? The darkness is not dark to God. I love that. Are you in a dark place today? Darkness is not dark to God. The night is as bright as day, and the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you in verse 14, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame, in verse 15, was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the deep parts of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. This is talking about David in his mother's womb and how God possessed David in his mother's womb. When as yet there was none of them. How precious in verse 17. And let's think about this verse here and when we talk about foreknowledge. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I still am with you. Beautiful, isn't it? That's foreknowledge right there. That God has possessed you and I in his, in his omniscience before we were born. Look at this in 1 John 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, one of my favorite verses, whenever your heart condemns us, remember this, when you start thinking about your past or what happened if you made a mistake. When your heart condemns us, remember this, God is greater than what? Our heart or our conscience. And he knows Everything Isn't that awesome? 
Well, think of it. If God knows everything in Psalm 139, the level of, that he's talking about before I even do it. If God knows everything about my heart before I was born, and he knows about everything that I'm going to do in the future, every sin I'll ever commit, everything that I'm ever going to do, and he's greater than that heart, and he loves us, isn't that awesome? Yeah. How can we lose? <laughs> How can we lose? This is the gospel that needs to be preached in Texas. This is what we need to be preaching. This is what causes victory. This is the grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness. This is grace, the presence of the grace of God in our life. This is foreknowledge. Because when he, you know something, when you are in a place where you feel like nobody knows you, and there, there are times where there are situations where you're going to be, you're going to feel like, you know what, nobody even knows me. Nobody knows what's going on in my heart right now. Not even my closest friend or associate. Remember this. He foreknew you. This is way more than just tricky, clever theology about, you know, what do the Calvinists believe? What do the Arminians believe? It's way more beyond that. It's this beautiful fact that God foreknew you. He did predate. So he foreknew us. Oh, he just foreknew us. And in that foreknowledge, he's not standing over us with a finger pointing at us. He's standing over us with his hand on you. Isn't that beautiful? It's so, it's so, my thoughts towards you are not evil. God is not thinking evil stuff about you. We think evil stuff about other people without even trying. That could be, that could be so easy to do. God is not thinking that way about you and I. Isn't that, praise the Lord. That's so awesome. We could just end right there and just worship God for like an hour. That's just so amazing. He foreknew us. He foreknew us. What are we worried about? This is the gospel and the details of life. God knew me in every detail. And I like this. I like this. For whom he foreknew. And it's whom. It's not what. For what God foreknew. Because you know something? If, if it was about the what, then you know what that means? It means that God would be responsible for letting evil happen. God foreknew us. God foreknew us. Think about that. That's beautiful. For whom he, did, he foreknew, he did what? Predestinate. What does that predestinate mean? It's a big. It's a big word. Don't let it freak you out. Predestinate means that he made a plan. God has a plan. Yeah. And when when things wind up out of control, and you think that you're out of the plan, you're not out of the plan. You are just in another aspect of His plan. You are never outside of the hands of God. Someone may say, "Well, this kind of message is going to is is like you know." You're saying it's okay to go out and live crazy, live in sin, uh, living in a li- having a, they say a license to sin. Well, we don't need a license to sin because that <laughs> that came without the gospel. That came with that came that came anyway. For whom he did predestinate, he predestinated. He made a plan. There's a plan for your life. One of the greatest things, you know, there was a situation with our, you know, with the with this fostering thing. We texted a few people and said, hey, you know what we just need prayer. You know, I was a little anxious. And somebody wrote back and they said, God's got a plan. God's got this. And you know what that really spoke to me? Because it quickened me in the fact that God has a plan. What is that plan? The plan is for us in eternity past to be transformed. In some translations it says conformed. The word conform really speaks of an external uh, compliance to a system or behavior. That's not Christianity. The word in the Greek there is soon, uh, soon morpho, which means, and I, and I know I didn't say that right, it means that we are changed together. And who does the changing? Christ does that changing. 
We are predestinated. God has a plan to work with you, in a, not in a monergistic um, sanctification, but a synergistic, which those are big words, which just means that it's God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if you're here today with an unresolved conflict in your personal life, you're struggling with something, and you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't know if I should be in this church ever, Grace. I don't know if I should be in any church, because if they really knew what I was thinking, then I would be probably cast out and burned on the stake in the parking lot. That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is, is that whatever God wants to do in your life, we don't read... We don't take credit reports here, by the way. We don't want to know about your past because it's crucified with Christ. Amen. The past, it doesn't mean anything. He predestinated us. He gave us a future, and that future is solid. It is sure. Yeah. It's just like our salvation is never, we're never going to lose our salvation. I think it's, so, what a flimsy, weak God it would be if we could lose this salvation. But you know what, something, when we realize that our the work, finished work is really finished and that Jesus was not just kind of pretending to say it is finished, but it's really finished. You know what? When the, what does that do to you? Because the gospel is not just a gospel of forgiveness, but it's a gospel of, of give God giving us a brand new nature, a brand new creation in us, a creation that is eager for God, that wants God, that is just seeking after God, that cries, Abba, Father. It's this creation in us. It's like it's like missions for us and evangelism and sharing the gospel with people. It's not something I'm supposed to do every week at a certain time. It's something that is in my heart because I can't wait to tell people, like, do you know that you are no longer a slave to sin? Yeah. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are just not. <laughs> this is so awesome. We are predestinated. God has a plan. And, and you know what this means? God is going to conform you. He's going to transform you. Are you worried about lack of patience? Are you worried about lust in your life? Are you worried about a habit? Guess what? God's going to be faithful, according to this verse, to together work together with you through the Holy Spirit, yoking up with him, and he's going to get you to the other side. And I don't know what you call this in theology, but somebody said it this way, that God is going to get you, and I've said this before, I love this, God's going to get you to the other side of that door if he's going to beat you through the keyhole. (laughs) I just love that because it just tells me that God is going to be faithful in our life. Yeah. He's going to be faithful. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, predestinated, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. This is our hope. Are you worried about your kids? Are you worried about your job? Are you worried about your future? Are you worried about your car? My brakes need to be fixed. Am I, wor- am I worried about my brakes that need to be fixed? God has a plan and a future to give us a, a future. I think we're out of time to talk about the election and the glorification. I just say this about the the election and a word election is a big word just that which just means that we're called by God. Not only did he foreknow us inside and out and knew us every nook and cranny and nothing surprises in your surprises God in your life. But he also made a plan. He's uh, making a plan for you because you're so precious. We look at our kids and we say I, I got a plan for that kid. Because we love those kids. He also called us. And listen to this. One of the most awesome verses. Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. Paul says this. God set me apart before I was born in my mother's womb. And he called me by his grace. Is that great? That means that before you and I ever sinned physically or have ever made a mistake, God had a calling in our life. Is God in control? Now you may say, well, that sounds fatalistic, but... 
When we look at the sovereignty of God, remember, fatalism and sovereignty are two different opposing philosophies. Fatalism is what we hear about in Islam. Well, if whatever Allah wills, it will happen. That is not sovereignty with God. Sovereignty of God is that there's a plan and it's bound, it's based and founded in the goodness and the grace of God. So we can trust that plan. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. And I'm going to read these verses to you. Here's Jeremiah. And I read these to Eduardo last night. Here's Jeremiah beginning his calling. Some of you maybe are just beginning your calling in your life. He is, he is here and he's worried about his call. And God's speaking to him before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. And before you were, before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. You ever say that to God? God reveals something to you about his will in his life, and you're like, Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> what does God say to that? Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Who's doing the action here? God is doing the action do not be afraid of them, for I am to, I will, in verse 8, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. What does he do in verse 9? Then the Lord, and this is what he's doing in your life today. I'm going to finish with this. He is putting his hand on you, and he's touching your mouth. He's touching that aspect of who you are so that you have the capacity to serve him. I put my words in your mouth. See, verse 10, he's showing Jeremiah something here in a visual way. I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms. Where are you today? This is the last point, glorification. I'm I'm missing justification, but where are you and I today? Are we in trouble? Are we in depression? Are we in a circumstance? Are we in debt? Are we in in an unresolved relationship? The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 that we are set above principalities and powers, that we are in Christ and that we've been set over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Take that, put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke it this week. (laughs) This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a finished work. It's not half done. We're okay. Now you got to pick up your part. It's not like that. He has finished it. And this is what we want to preach here. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's, Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the finished work of Jesus Christ. That the gospel is not just half gospel and it's not just half done. It's not some half, as we would say as a Yankee, some half-cocked cockamamie job that's been only half done, but it's been completely finished. And we can have this joy. No wonder people don't want to come to church because they don't hear the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever unresolved thing today you're going through in your life, it's, it's finished in his eyes. It, God has resolved it. And there's a day coming down the road where you're going to see the completion and the resolution of that. And this is the hope we're talking about. We're not talking about hope in a resolution. We're talking about a hope in a God who is firmly in control and loves and, and is so, so ready to be gracious to us. Lord, we thank you for each person here today, for every family represented in the middle of July when, when sometimes we can just shift into, make, into vacation mode. We can be quickened by the Holy Spirit and be, and be renewed in the gospel. Bless, we pray. And if you're here this morning and you, you just, you're just hearing about a Jesus that you've never met before, 
Maybe you're just thinking, wow, I, I haven't heard about this Jesus. Billy Sunday said that many people only know enough about Jesus to be, to be miserable. This is the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to say today, just say yes to God. Just say whatever that means, just say yes to Jesus Christ. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He says, maybe you're saying yes to him for the first time for, for salvation. But maybe there's another area of your, of your life where, where in your flesh you just want a, a program to control because, because you feel safe. Just, just Jesus is knocking on the door of that heart and he says, I know what's in there because I know what's in that room and there's no condemnation. I'm not condemning you. Just let me come into your life and just give you peace and love in that area of your life. And so we just surrender to you, Lord, again, afresh, anew today. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen.